Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions. It's an unfiltered view of your customer reality. In other words, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Devin, I want to congratulate you because you just recently hit your four-year anniversary at Gong. So congrats. Thank you. Fully, fully vested. First time ever. So on that note, I'm curious, like, Gong and kind of looking back at your other experiences, what has kept you at a company? And let's let's take money, you know, kind of like the salary or or you know commission and stuff out of the equation. I'm gonna go with the first two things that came up in my heart or mind, uh, which was winning. But the first first one was like, am I getting better? Like that's that's what it was. I didn't say the word learning and development, though that's probably how it gets coined. It was like, am I getting better? in my role or at this company, right? It can be in a different role. And then the next thing is winning. And I think that could be a derivative of my development, but also like, I wanna be on a winning team. Like I wanna be around people that are better than me, that I can learn from. So those are like the two things that came up. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to like sports days where you're like, I just wanna like, I don't have to be the best player as long as I'm a good, happy player on a good team. What about you? A lot of what you said resonates for sure, um, like the learning side of things. The uh, like maybe another way to phrase it, how I would phrase it, is like the impact that I'm able to have on a company. Um, so like I want to be in a place where like what I'm able to do is going to have an immediate and long term impact on the business. Like that is something that I care about a lot. And then the other piece has to be the people. Like who am I working with? Both the manager, the people on my team, like just the folks that I get to interact with on a day-to-day basis? Do they inspire me? And I'm, am I learning from them? <clears throat> People you <clears throat> hang out with a lot that inspire you. Sorry, just running my throat. So check and check and check on all, all of those right now. I love it. Well, we talked about a, a trend happening. Now, I noticed in the interview, I said it two different ways. So I don't know if there's a right one, but I said, whether you call it the great reshuffle or the great resignation, maybe one led to another. Either way, we hung out with Chief Revenue Officer of BMC, Jason Andrew, who's, as you pointed out, been there for a quarter of a century. So he's he's done came up. And what we talked about was how to retain top talent during the reshuffle. And what was cool, at least my favorite part, was how end-to-end he gives you from like, if you're an aspiring first-time sales manager, here's what to expect when you get into that role. It's not all roses. If you're in a leadership position, you want to rise to senior leadership, Here's the type of impact you need to make and the way that you need to per- be perceived in the business. And if you're senior execs listening to this, you know, C-level SVP types, he does a great job describing what to look for and how to retain top talent. So across your whole organization, how do you identify and test people to make sure that they're ready for the next level? So it was a great session. And I really enjoyed the beginning of our session where... Um... He's very adaptable and can interact with a lot of different kinds of folks. As you can tell, he was able to, in the podcast, he's able to speak to a lot of different folks. So in the beginning of the podcast, 
Um, he he's like, I need to turn my camera off for a minute. And he was wearing a t-shirt for BMC. And then he opened up his drawer and he had 20 different shirts, like for different, like that said, believe in all different languages. Like, so depending on who he's speaking to, he takes out the shirt, which is written in Mandarin or in Arabic or in English. So I love that. I thought that was amazing. Quite a showman to have a, you know, an outfit change ready to start any call. So, well, it was great stuff. Like I said, if you are interested in getting into leadership or the next level of leadership and you want to know how to retain your top talent, you're going to enjoy this session with Jason. So let's go hang out. Jason, well, great to see you again. Um, we're super excited to talk about, I think, a topic that's top of mind for every single revenue leader in the world today, which is really about how do you retain top talent? You know, it's been such an interesting time. There's uh, opportunity out in the world, and that also makes it challenging for a lot of folks to keep some the best of their best. So uh, that's what we're going to go deep into today. Uh, but before we do that, I was really impressed just looking at your profile on LinkedIn and the deep experience that you've had at BMC almost a quarter of a century, if I can phrase it like that. January the 2nd, 25 years. That's amazing. So tell us, tell us more about that and, and your path to CRO at BMC. Yeah, so I've been very fortunate, very blessed. I've had a magical run. I, I, I'm from New Zealand, and I started with BMC, first of all, as a partner down in New Zealand. I mean, I got my first gig with them in pre-sales, actually, software consultant in Australia. I um, was fortunate to, you know, at the time, there were seven people in Asia Pacific doing pre-sales. I think when I left about three years later, there were like 600. This sort of massive growth, you know, launched BMC in, in China and, and Korea helped grow the business in Japan, Hong Kong, Asia. And so got a really good APJ view of the world and then got offered an opportunity to move into R&D, which was like getting a lobotomy for me. I literally had no idea what I was doing, but I, I think managed to bluff my way through it. Did a couple of years in Houston doing that, working in, that was head office. Then came back to New Zealand and we acquired a few companies and I ran them and uh, helped run them in APJ. And then 2008, 2009, got an opportunity to come up back to the States and work with John McMahon and his little promotions. And then I ran marketing for a while and then I had an opportunity to go and run a mirror and for a bit and each time was, you know, bigger gig, more complicated. When I came back to the States in 2016, I was running the Americas and I had the opportunity, we did as a company about two years ago for about nearly 20 years, we grew up, we had bifurcated separate sales organizations, even though we were one company, different divisions, we didn't have a CRO. So under the new ownership we're on, they said, why don't we go back to having a CRO? And I was um, fortunate enough to, to get asked and it's been, you know, fantastic, fantastic ride. And I have a wonderful team, very, you know, seasoned veteran group of sales leaders. And that's a really important part when we get onto this retention topic because people tend to stick and stay if they like their leadership teams, right? You heard the, the old phrase about you leave because of your manager. Often you'll stay because of your manager. So I'm very lucky about that. And, and I've got a great team behind me as well. That's tremendous. I wish I could kind of like follow you historically in that journey around the world, like literally around the world. It sounds amazing. What did you learn along the way that you wish you knew sooner? Like, you know, kind of day one when you were starting BMC? Oh my God. Don't even start. You know, <laughs> first of all, you're going to make me out to be older than I am. But I, there's so many times I'll say to myself, geez, I wish I knew that back then. And, but the thing is, it's, that's the reality of experience, right? You, you're putting together like chapters in the journey or in, in your book for your career. And each chapter or, or location or job that I had was creating a profile. So I'll, I'll often have people say to me, why didn't you leave? 
BMC. Well, if you look at the every two or three years, I was doing something very, very different. And I think at least three of those changes have been major transformations inside or driven or driving major transformations. I think it, from a sales leadership point of view, if you've driven a successful sales transformation, you understand what it takes to get through that, whether it's taking something from nothing through a startup to being high-performing sales organization, building it from scratch, or taking something that's broken and re-engineering it. I think the biggest one, it re- sounds really, really basic, but problem identification or actually working out root cause of problem. Having seen so many different geos and different roles and different jobs inside the company, I feel like now that my spidey senses are like more tuned in to seeing issues and problems, right? So understanding that problem statement and then rather than getting fixated on a symptom, sales leadership might see something, let's take you know, retention again, they might see something around attrition and they might think it's, there's a, there's, you know, one or two people have left, there's a symptom. It's not the problem, it's a symptom. And they try to firefight the symptom and all they're really doing they're not actually fixing the problem. They're just they're putting out little fires. They're not actually taking the fire completely away. So I think one of the biggest things I've learned in different roles is you know be a great listener, understand what it is people are going through and what they're doing, take inventory, take stock. Don't don't do anything in a rush. Right? Many times I'd be going to a job, the person above me would say you need to fire that person and fire that person and keep those two, and then you'd find six months later you've done the opposite because the two they wanted to fire weren't given a profile or a the opportunity to actually do what they can do and the two they wanted to fire were actually bluffing or they they weren't actually driving good practice or culture or whatever it is that was foundational to your building a great team. I feel like a lot of what I do now is about paying it forward. The leadership team I have is amazing. All of them could be CROs but don't recruit any of them, any of you listening. That they are they in their own right veteran professionals, right? So I don't have any just recently I've taken all the authority of approving deals, quotes expenses travel i've given it to them i don't need it i trust them and they're good at what they do and they know what they're doing and and they feel empowered because i've given them that ability it's very simple but it was actually a no-brainer to do it i love that and speaking of even if you try to headhunt jason's execs and his leaders let's talk about why they'd stay right and so attrition is a big challenge for sales leaders all the time but right now there's record numbers of employees resigning and that's kind of given us that, that nice coin statement, that great resignation or great reshuffle. What's your take on this shift, Jason? Well, first of all, it's real, even for, and I think too, I guess probably before you start, last year for all of us was probably a year where none of us really had attrition. The last year was, you know, shelter and job or, or shelter in place. And people did it, right? They were worried about what was really going to happen with the pandemic. They, you know, they were on health plans. They for various different reasons, I probably, I guess everybody in the, in the industry had no attrition or very little attrition. But during that and towards, you know, the last, you know, six to nine months, the IPO markets, I don't know, I think there's 46 new IPOs in like the last four months, which means they're having to grow sales organizations. I'm just talking in enterprise software selling. You know, the market's white hot again. And what people have done when they've come out of shelter in place or shelter and job is they've gone the opposite. It's just, I just need to change. Even if some of them are really happy and comfortable, they're looking at their life, all aspects of their life with a different lens, and they're wanting a change. Now, some organizations may be implementing return to office policies that others don't like. And I don't know if the pandemic itself or people mandating change in their organization is causing an issue. 
it's more just people looking at their lives a bit different and saying, I, I want a fresh restart. And, and I, I get that. By the way, we're not perfect. We've got attrition like everybody else. So what we're doing is looking at, again, it's problem, not symptom, right? So you look at who are you recruiting, right? You've got to go all the way upstream and, and work on this. Uh, when you onboard an employee, what's that first time initial experience? Did you know the sales employee turnover rate is 35% compared to an average turnover rate of 13%? That's nearly 3x compared to all other departments. These stats come courtesy of HubSpot's research on the sales employee turnover rate. You might be wondering why. Well, for one, we know sales isn't for everyone. It takes a lot of perseverance and mental toughness to be successful long term. While some level of attrition is natural, you have to be intentional about retaining your best talent. To overcome attrition, leaders need a solid recruitment plan in place to backfill employees who leave or else growth is jeopardized. Luckily, Jason is here to help. Let's get back into the conversation and hear his advice on keeping employees engaged for the long run. When you're looking at retention, why do people stay, right? What makes people come to your organization and then what makes them stay in your organization? And I think those are, you know, three different ways of maybe breaking down the major problem. Recruiting is a, you're going to always have to do that. I think right now you've got to recruit differently. Again, it's a white hot market. So if you, you don't want to recruit someone and onboard them, put an investment in them and they're gone in 12 months. So there's a lot of people thinking in this space because it's very fluid, you've got to recruit properly. I think alternative recruiting methods are interesting. There's a lot of work going on out there. I probably won't show you that it's from the Harvard Business Review around you know, how to spot talent. And it's saying, hint, experience is overrated because problems are different. Therefore, maybe the mindset of how you fix them needs to be different. So early stage talent and, and identification through university programs or whatever that still want to be in the sales industry. But then when you break, why do they come to your company? They believe in what you're doing. They believe in the vision, the strategy. They love the manager that's recruiting them. And then for most other salespeople, what's my quota, what's my territory, and what's my complaint? Those five criteria. Do I love the company I work for and believe in what they're doing in the culture? Who's my manager? Quota, comp, territory. Whichever way you want to mix it. So how do you retain them, first of all, with that lens? I think creating a culture of, of learning. You hit get good salespeople, they're highly coachable. So you've got to want to teach them, right? And, and this is what I was saying before about pay it forward. It's not just individuals that you're recruiting and recruiting management teams or retaining management teams. They want to stay because they're getting developed. They're learning something new. They're doing something new. It's interesting when I look at the younger generation, these millennials that we're recruiting, it's not necessarily just about the money. It's about what am I going to learn and what am I going to do or how am I going to what, what, you know, how I'm going to make a change in the organization that I'm working with. Whereas maybe some of us older dogs, it's more just, you know, show me the money. So you, you've got to get that right retention balance. And we put a lot of effort into training programs. And I'm not talking, let me tell you about my product. I'm talking about training you to be a better sales professional. So how to manage a first time, a first meeting, how to handle a difficult conversation, etiquette around presentations presentation skill sets and learning general it's interesting but learning sales skills through understanding and using role play as a form of educational training and even through the pandemic even by zoom and 
and, and other online mechanisms constantly giving the team the ability to learn and train not just in your product but in becoming a better professional develop their own skill sets and i think even more so for the leadership teams it's understanding we run programs um, we call one of them is called seven wonders of selling right so we teach the sales managers you know how to recruit onboard and develop employees and then we teach them forecasting skills pipeline skills operating system and cultural skills so the seven wonders of being great just giving them that vehicle where they say i'm always learning and i'm always getting something two-way feedback from working with you is, is really key i was on the LinkedIn just this week and I saw a post from a sales manager, I think on the newer side, and she wrote, uh, oh, so nobody tells you how hard hiring is. That was the whole point. Tons of comments and likes and I was part of it because I'm like, to your point, Jason, like most companies don't really teach people how to hire and recruit and interview. Well, let's talk about that. That's actually, if you were hired to be an inside sales rep or a BDR, not many BDRs because they don't normally get hired and say, hey, my career ambition for the rest of my life is to be a BDR. Most of them then will say, even if they're then inside sales, I want a field sales role. Most field sales people, I'm not talking most, but uh, yeah, it's probably most, then will say, I want to be a manager. So what takes you from being a great individual contributor to being a great manager? The point you made about recruiting is the very first time an IC gets promoted to be a first-line manager and the very first time they have to go and recruit somebody outside the organization, into the organization, they don't have a clue. And especially if, that, if they're recruiting salespeople, they all sound amazing. They don't know how to read a resume. They don't know how to verify and check experience. They don't know how to challenge the person in the interview process. They don't just don't know what they don't know. So this comes back to what I was saying before about training and development. We offer our leadership training to our individual contributors. So before they want to become a manager or they want to go from BDR to inside sales to field sales to manager, every stage there's management or there's development of them so that they get the next, the next benefit of going to the next step. The point is, if I'm going to be an IC for a couple of years, I'm going to do really well, but I'm going to get trained to be a manager. Now you've got a career path. Before you turn your head and look for another opportunity, you'll realize that if I stay for five years, I can go from inside sales to field sales to maybe first-line management five or six years. It gives you that career path. It takes that one thing away. Most people will go for the management role by leaving the company they're in to take a job somewhere else. And if you haven't had that training, you will fail, right? You will, you won't be able to handle the pressure of recruiting and onboarding. So let's say you've got six people. Two of them have been here five years. So you've got to look after and develop the long-termers. You don't want to lose them. They're highly skilled, very tenured. Two of those people are being here less than two years. You're still developing them into the role, and two of them are brand new, and one of them you just lost. As a manager, this is what you're dealing with all the time is this mix. What I like about how you're investing in your individual contributors is by giving them that management training, you're also showing that you're investing in them, that you believe in them, and that probably, I would expect, also helps with their retention and their desire to stay at the company. It's differentiating for what, for, so everybody offers an, an OTE. Everyone can say, here's your package. Probably right now, a lot of people are also able to say, here's your stock, you know, pre IPO or invested RSUs. So the maverick or the, you know, the person that just leaves for money or, or doesn't stay because of it is the longtime sales leader taught me this. Don't make a decision solely based on that pure economic state. You've got to think of the other variables, the other, 
components. So if you hate the culture where you're going to, again, if you don't like your hiring manager, if you don't have a, you know, some sort of clarity on what or what good looks like, and then lastly, are you going to be developed or is that the role you want to stay in forever? Right. And I think I become like a little bit of a poster child for it at BMC because I've, I've been gone through the journey. I've actually, I don't want to say I was trained every step to do it, but every time I would do it, I would think back and go, I need to train people on what I've just been through because the next person that takes this gig from me, it, I would only be as good as how sustainable it was after you left. So you're developing and training people all the time. It's like you said about my leadership team at the beginning. I feel like I could put any one of five of them into the role if I, I was had to you know, step out for a minute or two, and I would, it would the business would run. And that's actually what you try to strive for. You want to get to, and it will retain people if they fit. They're getting the comp. They're seeing a future. They're being developed. They're being trained. They like the culture. Those become key elements in for retention. You've got a pretty big organization <laughs> existing today. How do you maybe identify, you know, the right people for first-time leadership roles or leaders who are ready to get into that senior level? So maybe I don't focus too much on the recruiting aspect of it because everyone's got their determination, grit, IQ, EQ, coachable. They've all got their own criteria that they apply and, and how they weed that out in, in the interview process. But I think in, if you've recruited well, especially if you can recruit not and play a talent into your organization, you can, you know, create a, a group of, you know, a pool of A talent. Even if, when a B talent, a B or C talent comes in, they, they'll rise to the tide and they'll rise up with the rest of the A talent. It's how do you identify where to go next in that talent pool? So you have to be very disciplined as a management team. This from the top down. So we do regular nine box reviews, the nine box structure of top right hand corner is they're what you call one talent. So you would the eminently promotable, done the groundwork, got the performance collateral that says ticked all the boxes on the hundred percent here, hundred percent there. Um, I like to look for did they create an initiative that become institutionalized in not just what they do, but people around them. So a good one might be they came up with some creative way to build pipeline or manage pipeline. Did they not only institutionalize it with their team, which means they're good at coaching and training, but did they make the ecosystem and those above them, did it develop through the organization, did it become part of our DNA? Performance collateral, driven and owned an initiative that became important to the company. And the last one is, how's the ecosystem accept them? Let's say Sheena was an absolutely, you know, Oh, this is obvious. A talent. Sheena was obviously her back is tired because she's just carrying me all the time. You and know? <laughs> then, then of course we had Devin. All right. But let's say a promotion came up, and I decided to the ecosystem in the sales team. We all love both, but in the ecosystem, Devin didn't play fair. Devin would put the lawyer. Yeah, you're you're nodding your head, Sheila. Sheena's already like, yeah. You, you did you meet him before the podcast? I heard about that. The channel didn't like him. The lawyers thought that he, you know, was demanding. But hey, wow, look at these numbers. If you promote Devin, what message does that send to the rest of the ecosystem? Right? If if you do the wrong things, I'm going to promote you. The rest of the ecosystem goes, what? It might not sound. It, you know, I always say that going from individual contributor to first line manager, which is a big promotion, but the hardest that role is the hardest role uh, in sales because you like you said, doing everything for the first time. It's it's when you get further up the tree or up the stack that those promotions send a message to the rest of the organization. 
They really do. So identifying top talent, giving them the right development. If you, it's shame on you as a leader if you pick someone out of a pool because they're amazing and you promote them and you sit back and watch them fail. It, nine times out of ten, it's you that created the fail, not them. All right, Because they didn't suddenly overnight become bad talent. There's something that, unless they weren't coachable, there's something you did probably did wrong in that process. So that's actually looking in the mirror. you got to look pretty tough at yourself. I've done that a few times where I've maybe not been the promoting manager, but I've watched others do it and then seen the poor person who was top talent fail. And it's just, it's a travesty, right? Especially if the person's had, got tenure in the company. So you've got, it's a really important component. You know, what, what's their performance collateral? And when they win deals, you know, do they go, Hey, I want it and you guys didn't help. What sort of character do they have when they, when they, when they're behaving? Do they have they created an initiative and made it institutionalized in the company? And what's the ecosystem's acceptance of this person being promoted? I, I really love that point around the ecosystem. I'm curious to get your take like on another kind of conversation, which is how do you determine if somebody's ready for that promotion? There's either they are already acting in that role, they're already doing the manager level responsibilities versus the potential. Often you'll see potential pretty early on, especially if you've done it a few times and you've watched it a few times. It's actually making sure they spend a little bit of time in the saddle doing the role they, they're doing before you move them up and you burn them out. I'll give you one little, this is a little trick that, that we've implemented and it seems to work quite well. So I talked before about, you know, alternative ways to recruit. One thing that we're doing, and it might sound a little bit different to sales, is we're actually bringing in interns and we're bringing in these interns over summer from locations where they want to become salespeople, right? So not many people go to college and go, all I want to do is be a salesperson. So <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. I hope the audience is. I'm on mute, but I would, have, I would have happily laughed aloud, mostly because I went to school to be an English teacher. And when I graduated, the first thing I did was jump into tech sales. So yeah, I there you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and, and I'm and laughing because like I'm like, that's I, I'm an accountant, but not many, there are programs now. There are quite a few in, in, happening over in Europe, but they're popping up here too, where universities are offering um, graduate programs to be salespeople, and some of them are world-class. So they're right, let's say you go and you pick these interns up. So let's say, again, we'll take Sheena as a high-performing individual contributor that's got aspirations to be a manager. Yes, Devin doesn't. So Sheena has done this early-stage training. So we've got these early development. You know, we we'll talked about seven wonders of being a great sales manager. So we've opened Sheena's eyes up a little bit to this isn't as easy as it looks. And often when people go through this training, the first thing that happens, Sheena, is they go, that's why you asked me to do that. So if you have an aha moment. Right? So you're getting this development and we're working with you. So let's prove this out. Let's test this out. Let's bring an intern on. And Sheena, as an individual contributor, now has to manage an intern. So only for eight weeks, that's all it is. You've got to set goals, create a plan, train them, put up with them, whatever it is. You've got to go through that process. That's, the, that's one little test bed. The second one is managers take holidays, believe it or not. We do take breaks, right? So why not have test windows? Why not actually... This is in Europe. They take a month off in July or August. And when they take the month of August off, who's their backup? Who sits in for them? We as a management team, how are we going to pressure test that person in the new gig? All right. How are we going to open their eyes up to it? That's the little, their tests about you can see the potential coming. You can understand the things and test them out performance collateral initiatives and ecosystem acceptance. You can give them little roles like own a small team, give them a project. 
one of the things we've done from a retention perspective is we've created, you can't have a project called Culture, but we actually have a culture project called Destination BMC. Now, Destination BMC, which is things like this, is no manager owns an initiative. All the initiatives are owned by individual contributors. So the Women in Sales initiative, the we have a cooking class initiative. There's a buddy program. So when a new person comes into the company, who's your buddy? And you volunteer to be a buddy. There's all these different programs. Managers don't own any of them. They're all owned by individuals. And you can watch people perform or take on responsibility because ultimately when they become a manager, that's what you're going to ask them to do is take on a group of people, a set of personalities and some you know, corporate responsibility. So there's little tests you can take to identify potential in your organization. How do they perform in a QSR? How do they, are they a coach? Are they constantly engaged? Do they drift off, sit in the corner and eat peanuts from a jar? What are they doing when they're in these? Because the, again, the minute you promote them, everyone's going to go, well, that guy's, that guy Devin's a clown. Last QBR we had, he sat in the corner and, and ate jelly beans. I mean, you, you, little tests that you're doing along the way. Being a sales manager is a really complex job, especially if you're a first time, first line sales manager. Because if you, again, if, if you've got a one to six or span of control, so you've got six ICs, two of them are tenured, two of them are getting there, and two of them are new, you're having to manage all this movement in your team, and then you get the surprise departure. So then you've got to go and recruit, and you've got to leave them alone for a bit so you can recruit. So you're always trying to spot and pick out whether you're the RSM or the person above. Who's your successor? Who is developing into that role? Because it might not necessarily be the tenured sales reps. I have reps here that are 20 years of selling that are ICs, individual contributors. They don't want to be a manager. That's their professional salespeople. That's what they do. What I love about what you described is that identifying potential is not something that is just like it's, you feel it in your gut or that person looks like me. No, you laid out specific tests and opportunities for the person to prove out that potential. So I think that's what's really great about what you describe. And you, this, it's amazing how many times, so in a 12-week operating rhythm on a given quarter, there are windows that everybody has in their operating structure, right? So if you're doing pipeline generation or you're doing your QSR or you've got a week six deal review, give the IC that you think has got potential a challenge. Hey, we've got a PG event coming up in three weeks' time. It's going to be based around this topic. There's some training. I want you to get with the enablement team. I want you to structure and build the training. I want you to run the PG event. And, and some of them will, again, if they're professional ICs that just want to stay in that world, they'll say, not my gig. I'm selling for me. I'm driving my number. I'm going to beat my quota. Others will say, here's my test. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to go for it. One isn't right and one isn't wrong. It's just helping you qualify the talent that's coming through the system. Well, yeah, and you don't want a whole team full of folks who don't want to go to management and you don't want a whole team of folks who just want it and vice versa. So if you're makes... a bit of friction, like if you promote somebody, like again, first line manager promotion, the other five, if you promote the, the person out of the team to manage the same team, that's a really tricky dynamic. So that one day you were their peer, the next day you're their boss. And if you're the person that applied for the gig and didn't get it, then the rest of the management needs to understand you better find another role for that person because they're going to leave. They're not going to want to work with their peer or with their peer necessarily, right? It's delicate. You've got to be careful with that situation. When it comes to recruiting, it's kind of interesting we were talking about that. I forgot the, I've got a couple of notebooks that I use, but even when I run, I have, I do 25 one-on-ones, uh, 30 minute one-on-ones. So about 14 hours a week, I dedicate to one-on-ones, not with my leadership team. 
And on Fridays, I call it Gratitude Friday. On Fridays, I'll get the managers to roll up a list of who do I need to thank. And I'll take three hours every Friday. And I'll try to ring them if I can. I'll email them. And I'll just, whatever the reason I'm thanking them is, I do, I do a thank you. But the one-on-ones, the skip level or low level one-on-ones are typically based around the nine box. So if you've got 1500 salespeople and you want less than 10%, so that's five to seven percent of your talent being in the one box, imminently promotable. So out of 1500 people, you're talking 75 individuals. You know, and some of them might be ICs and some might be managers. So I do monthly, I have a rotation, a monthly and a quarterly rotation of these one-on-ones to get at the top talent. So they get time with the CRO, but I get time with them as well. And the one-on-one is 30 minutes of what I call a 10-10-10. 10 minutes of tell me what's going on in your life. Let's just have a chat. You know, we just brainstorm, we muck around, we, you know, we talk about the dogs, the weather, whatever. We don't talk about politics or religion. And then we have 10 minutes where we talk about what's going on with their job right now and what they're working on and what, what's important. And then we have 10 minutes on what's going to happen next for them in their career. And they have to come with a one-pager that says, why Sheena, why Devin? And then we also create a champion, an internal champion plan. And the internal champion plan is just saying, who's important to you? in your career? Who do you think is important to you in your career? And then we go, does that person, can they spell your name? Or would they, you know, die on the highway for you because they think you're amazing? So what that 101010 gives the person is just a window to share with me a little bit about them, a little bit about their gig, and a little bit about where they want to go. And then they leave behind with me their why and their champion plan, internal champion plan, and it lets me navigate and get a view of what they're thinking. And it's 25 people, but it, it, I love it and they love it too. It's actually it becomes a cultural thing. It just becomes a way of, well, we're, we're a hierarchy, but we're flat. You've got to have a structure. You don't do is you don't talk about development. But 99% of the time, that's what happens if you don't. Because what or you'll put it off. You'll say, hey, I've got a one-on-one coming up. And you'll do, oh, expenses. And you talk about a deal. Oh, time's up. Let me move on. You've really got to separate yourself. Because um, what there is a format for a proper one-on-one. Don't get me wrong. It's You need it. Managers need it with their individuals. You need it to have it. But they're... The development one-on-one or the skip level or the whatever you want to call it, that's when you're actually uncovering for that. It's a retention plan. You're uncovering what keeps them in the company, what keeps them engaged. Because some people will say, all I want to do is be a manager. And I'm like, okay, let me just let's pull apart what you're asking. What's your goal in life right now? Well, I've got to make a lot of money. I've got a mortgage and two kids you know, under five. I'm like, so do you think going to management is going to make you a lot of money? Yeah. That's not necessarily the case, right? You're actually more in control of your destiny when you're an IC. So maybe you want to think about this management. So when you're a manager, you're now got six people you've got to look after. And it might be eight o'clock at night or six in the morning. Two little kids trying to pay a mortgage. Just got to, you're, you're, you're pulling up the who are you and what do you want to be when you grow up conversation. All right, Jason, we're going to ask you the same question that we ask all of our guests to wrap up, which is, how would you describe sales in one word? My guts are challenging. My head said rewarding. My heart says passion. Well, Jason, it's been fantastic. It is uh, 5 p.m., I think, your time, or at least maybe a little after. So it's the weekend's getting started. So we thank you. Have a good weekend, and uh, hopefully we talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Every week, we bring you a micro action, something to think about or something you can put into play today. 
Whether you're focused on retaining your people, recruiting new talent, or juggling both at once, Jason's advice inspires action. If you only do one thing after hearing this conversation, let it be this. Give people opportunities to grow. People are on the hunt for more than just a paycheck when it comes to their careers. They want to grow and to be on teams that help them learn. If you're looking for new people to join your team, considering hiring interns that, if successful, could become full-time hires. If you want to retain your current team, give them opportunities to step up, have defined career paths and promotion plans in place. So if you're looking to grow your team or retain the amazing talent you have today, showing people they will be able to learn and grow with your organization will go a long way. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.